As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. On Monday, the Premier League went to war with its serial champions Manchester City, charging them with over 100 alleged breaches of its financial rules. It marked the end of a four-year investigation, but what is Rule W51 and could City suffer a points deduction this season or even be stripped of past titles? I'm Mark Chapman and welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. I believe them because I said to them, if you lie to me, the day after I'm here, I will be out and you will not be my friend anymore. So with us for this one, our Manchester City correspondent Sam Lee and senior football news reporter Matt Slater. Let's start with the charges, Matt. Very simple. What have they charged with? How far back do the allegations go and why now? OK, well, look, there's lots of charges, over 100. And and they kind of break down into sort of groups, really. Um, the first group is all around Manchester City not providing accurate Reports, uh, financial accounts, so they haven't been honest and transparent with the league. And that goes all the way back to season 2009-10 up to 2017-18. And in each of those seasons, there are about five or six breaches, all related to the same thing, that you have not provided accurate financial information that gives a true and fair picture of the club's financial position. And that, of course, is all related to the you have to go all the way back to the Spiegel and the Football League stuff and the inflated sponsorships and uh, disguised costs. But it is all around you have not provided accurate accounts. And then we have another sort of set of uh, charges that are around uh, very specifically the Roberto Mancini allegations that uh, he had kind of a little bit of a side hustle going on, a contract with a club in Al Jazeera and some of his Hey, Man City was being basically kind of topped up by this contract. And then the third group of charges is a bit technical. It's another thing that's in the Premier League handbook. You are not only just supposed to uh, follow all our rules, you're supposed to follow the FA's rules, FIFA's rules, UEFA's rules. And by not providing fair and accurate accounts, you have therefore breached UEFA's licensing system that you need to uh, follow to play in uh, the Champions League. 
On that one, on that one, sorry to interrupt there, but but if people were listening to us last week in the Financial Fair Play podcast, we, we had a quite a big discussion, didn't we, about how different organisations have different rules for different tournaments. And actually, some of UEFA's Financial Fair Play really only hits you if you qualify for the Champions League. So just on that point, is that is that quite unusual for one organization to throw charges at someone based on other organizations rules it, it would be if it wasn't in the handbook but it is there very clearly in the handbook right. it, there's a there's a little kind of paragraph that says yeah obviously you've got to follow all these rules and there's 300 odd pages of them um but you're also obliged to you know, follow the rules of these other organisations that we kind of rate and value, like FIFA, UEFA, IFAB. And you did ask for a licence to play in European club competitions in those years. And because we think that you weren't giving fair and accurate reports, you were in breach of that licence. So we're going to hit you with some charges from our handbook. So that's what's happened there. It is a bit weird. I agree. The main stuff is it is really that, that yeah. first group of charges. And then just to finish the other groups... Um, it's quite interesting that between 2015 and 2018, they are suggesting that Man City may well even have have, um, have breached the Premier League's profitability and sustainability rules. So their FFP rules, I think they're probably, again, sort of technical stuff about not being fair and accurate. And then the last set of charges, which is about another sort of 30-odd charges, because it is five seasons worth, 2018 to now, to this current season, and there are sort of four or five breaches per season. It's non-cooperation. It's, we started investigating you in December 2018, and you have fought us every inch of the way and haven't cooperated with us, and we've been fighting with you in courts in secret and private, right, that, that, that we've we've not been party to, us lot. You're, you're supposed to help us. You're supposed to sort of do what we ask you to do, and you haven't. So non-cooperation. So five main groups. I would argue that the first group is the key one, that you've not been honest, you've not provided fair and accurate accounts. And maybe that last one could be interesting as well. Although on that last one, City are adamant. I mean, their, their statement, Sam, um, before we get on to all the other stuff, but just on the non-cooperation, City are adamant that they've that they've cooperated every step of the way, aren't they? Yeah, they, they are adamant that they've said that. I mean, there's there have been legal challenges throughout this process, this four-year investigation anyway. You know, City tried to argue... The Premier League panel did not have jurisdiction to bring an investigation and they, they suggested it was biased as they did with UEFA a few years ago. And then that was thrown out and they weren't allowed to appeal. They went and asked another judge if they could appeal. They got that right to appeal. It was thrown out. So there have been these steps already to kind of make life difficult. And within those hearings, you know, the Premier League were saying you know, Manchester City have not cooperated. So, I mean, even, even down to this very basic principle of have you cooperated or not, there is disagreement. To, to some extent, the belief at City is they've been asked to hand over stuff that doesn't exist. This this will only come out over the coming um, months and years, but clearly there's a, there's a difference of opinion as to what cooperation means. But again, if we go back to the UEFA timeline, City openly didn't cooperate. They said they never really cooperated because they didn't. They said they didn't have any faith in the process. But when the time came to to hand over everything to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. They were happy to do so. So it may well be a similar thing this time. But yes, City have said that they have cooperated. The Premier League have been very insistent that they haven't. Their overall feeling on this is one of confidence that they've done nothing wrong. Would that would that be fair to say? Yeah, hugely so. From the from the statement 
um, and also from you know other, other things that um, you know noises coming out of the club, shall we say? It's all very. We're looking forward to clearing our name. We've done nothing wrong, and all this kind of stuff. I mean, that could theoretically and hypothetically be put down to just a public front. You know, all kinds of companies in trouble would release statements saying everything's fine. And behind the scenes, you know, they're putting out fires and putting on parachutes and all sorts. But from what I hear, all this stuff that's coming out publicly is exactly how they feel privately. And not just what they're telling the players, because that could easily be seen as a public stance as well. Because obviously you'll tell your players, look, everything's fine. We'll sort it out. But they genuinely, genuinely believe that everything is going to be fine, um, as, as they did last time. And what they're telling Guardiola as well, <laughs> presumably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, forget what forget what they're telling the players. I mean, arguably, Guardiola is the most important one to to tell and explain. Yeah, well, I mean, there's 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 two things that's probably relevant. One is, I put this in my article this morning, kind of explaining what everything that went on at City yesterday. But there was a there's a feeling this is going to take for years anyway. So Guardiola might not even be there. He might have naturally reached the end of his time at City by the time this is resolved. That's one possibility. Um, the other thing is that quote that he gave in May last year. He said, look, if they lie to me, I'll leave, basically. And people are using that again now to say, oh, well, he's going to have to leave then, isn't he? But what he'll be saying is, I trust them. And I've been right to trust them because they were right at Cass. He'll say again, I'm sure, and he'll believe again. I'm right to trust them now. And while everyone on the outside is rightly or wrongly, I'm not even sure, thinking they're banked to right and this is going to happen and looking forward to the punishments and the relegations. Like City and obviously Guardiola will be thinking, well, we've, we've been here before. Manchester City are still alive here. Balotelli, Aguero! As, as Sam says, there are a lot of people, you know, rival fans, basically, aren't there, Matt? Yes. Dancing, with, yeah. dancing with joy about this. And, and as, clubs. As Sam, and mm. clubs, yeah, yeah. Mm. Talking about, as Sam said, you know, trophies being taken back, points deductions, relegations, whatever. What what are the potential punishments? Are they in, are they in the handbook, what, what can be done if you break this rule? Yeah, yeah, they, they, they sketch them out. But what they don't sketch out is kind of a sort of table, a, a kind of sliding scale, a an absolute formula for this. They leave the punishments so much discretion to this this commission, this this three person commission that 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 we we know Michael Rosen is the chair. We don't know who the other two guys will be or two two people will be. One will almost certainly be a financial expert because of the nature of this work. Um, but they have incredible. Incredible discretion, and um, yeah, yeah. The stuff. What's that- Michael? What's Michael? Just on the panel, yeah. and then we'll go back to the, what's what's Michael Rosen's qualifications for this? Oh, well, he's 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 pretty qualified. To be fair to him, he is a an eminent uh, KC. He yeah. is a court of arbitration for sport arbiter. Uh, he has done years and years of settling these disputes. Range of sports, rugby, F one, table tennis, you name it. All you know, the whole the whole lot. A, a sportsman, a sports fan, you know, understands understands the landscape. Man City fans will have noticed he's an Arsenal fan. Uh, also a member of MCC. So it so it'll be him. I, I li- likely as you, it has to have some financial expert yeah, yeah. On, on this. And then the third the third person we uh, another we another em- eminent KC jurist. Arbiter. Right. These will be the these will be really good people. Don't don't worry about the quality of these people. Um, and there'll be some haggling over this as well, which is again because I, I imagine one of your questions is going to be how long. It's one of the questions I've been asked for the last twenty four yeah. hours. There's going to be some haggling over this. Then there'll be some diary clashes. 
both both sets, Premier League and Man City, will have top top people. So I, I've seen some sort of speculation that this could could in theory happen relatively quickly. But how many times have you and I talked about EFL disciplinary panels? Man, mm-hmm. Derby's the one that kind of is freshest in my mind. And, you know, rouse about jurisdiction, rouse about that person. What does he know about it? And I've got a diary clash. I've got something else to do. And it just drags on and on and on and on. And we haven't even got to the bit, which I think is almost inevitable. There's going to be a disappointed party here. And the Premier League or Man City, unless it's a slam dunk either way, which doesn't, I, I, I don't sense is going to happen, mm. there's going to be an appeal. And then another panel will be appointed to look at whether the first panel was right on points of law. Now, again, this is quite important because that's what happened in Derby. And that took another long, that that added, I can't remember now, six months at least to the process. So I can see this, Not I can see the, the first thing not happening until the summer. I think there's going to be lots of pushback to, to, for it not to happen immediately. Kind of people getting their positions absolutely nailed down sometime in the summer, and then who knows when the appeal will be. So the, I'd, I'd, I'd be thinking a year, a year at least. I mean, it's kind of refreshing. I think everybody, whatever whatever outcome you're hoping for or just an outcome at all, everybody probably wants it to be sooner rather than later. It's just, yeah, in that sense, it's it's nicer to hear because there was definitely a sense at the city where it's almost like it's not, not a subject because obviously it is, but it's just kind of business as usual. And like I said, there is that kind of feeling that, you know, in terms of, are they going to carry on with transfers? Are they going to carry on with contracts? They may as well push on because there's no real sign this is going to be done any anytime soon. And, you know, it could even be years plural is what I've heard. But obviously, Matt, to be fair, I'll probably trust Matt over myself most of the time, especially on things like this. <laughs> We're guessing, Sam. We are all guessing. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, well, that's the thing. Everybody is. We don't even know who's on the panel, let alone what they're yeah. going to decide. Like, that's part of the Which, which means, uh, just to go back to the punishment bit then, Matt, yeah. we're, we're, everybody's, everybody's yeah. guessing. Oh, look, the punishment's fascinating. I mean, of course, it's of course, it's the most, you know, it's an exciting thing, isn't it? Exciting, sorry, scary thing, depending on how you sort of see these things, because this is, this is unprecedented for the Premier League. You know, if you think about kind of comparable rows, you have to go a long way back to sort of Sheffield United and West Ham, which spilled over into the courts, which is chaos, which is one of the reasons why the Premier League is so desperate to stay out of the courts and keep everything on an arbitration basis. I've mentioned some of the big cases in. The EFL derby was, was a long drawn out one, which again had a sort of FFP element to it and a kind of dishonesty element to it. Um, Saracens is one that are kind of people are sort of raising. I guess that is the the closest example in British sport of the big name being caught cheating around a salary cap issue and there being a, a, a significant punishment that was complicated. You know, they were initially docked points for breaching the salary cap, I think, over two or three seasons. I think it was three seasons. There was a points deduction. The man, the eminent uh, jurist who was in charge, Lord Dyson, I don't think actually, I think his ruling was quite subtle in that he he didn't think Saracens cheated intentionally. You know, they were sailing very close to the wind. And he kind of believed that what they thought they were doing, they they thought was okay. It was, it was you know every loophole available but then there was almost like a sort of second element to it where they were still in breach and they almost i think chose relegation i think there was a sort of second punishment it was which they accepted which was big points deduction initially they might have survived that oh 
no, we're still in breach. Let's just take the take the relegation. And of course, they bounce back and they they barely missed a beat. Another one, of course, is Juve. Different, not FFP. It was match fixing, match fixing allegations. Oh, huge scandal in Italy. I think it was 2004, 5, 6. Juve lost a Serie A title. It wasn't reallocated. But then they lost, that was 2004-5. I think 5-6, they did lose because they were then relegated to Serie B and into Milan got that year. But then that, that that prompted years of fighting and it kind of spread to other clubs and there was a whole sort of second half of that scandal. Juve still furious about it. You know, and I'm thinking about doping and reallocated medals and Lance Armstrong's Tour de France. We've got loads to talk about and speculate about. And because... That commission, that panel, has amazing amounts of discretion, but it all hinges on the if, right? If they say that Man City are guilty of all of that unbelievably long list of breaches, yeah, we could be looking at something quite significant, and we could be looking at retrospective punishments. If they think, no, 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 that's fine, that's that's fine, they've sorted that one, and yeah, you know, that's that's in the margins that one, and we end up with just non-cooperation, you know. Could be a fine, could be a, a transfer ban, uh, something you know, something something suspended, all sorts. Um, in the next part, we'll, we'll talk about the timing of this. Why now? How far back they have gone, and also the the reaction of some other European leagues uh, to the news uh, that came out on Monday. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Still going back towards the City goal and Rodri has lost it and Spurs are onto it and they're into the penalty area and can you believe it? The first time into the penalty area, Harry Kane scores for Spurs. Well, that is just typical of the way things have gone for City at this stadium. They've dominated. Is is there a surprise, Sam, just on the timing of this? Is there, is there a surprise about how far back they've gone? about how long the investigation took, a four-year investigation, and also, why now? Why it's why they've decided to announce it now? Yeah, well, this is one of those things that, you know, people would, if they've been following this, people would have seen this maybe crop up in several different newspapers. You know, there's this city view that they think that the Premier League have rushed this out to, com- uh, to coincide with the government's white paper to as almost to say, look, we don't need a regulator. We can do this ourselves. That's kind of the city view. And again, what I was saying earlier, that isn't just a, a distraction technique they've thrown out in public. That is, you know, what, what they genuinely believe at, at the top of the club. Um, so in terms of the timing, they they believe, whether they're right or not, who knows, but they, they believe that to be the case. You know, they didn't 
they, they probably expected some charges at, at some point, or they at least considered it was possible. But whether it was going to be yesterday morning or not, they you know they had no idea. Um, you know, after the Spurs game at the weekend, some guys down in the mix zone saw the chairman, Kaldun Al Mubarak, and the CEO Ferran Soriano go into the dressing room after the game for 45 minutes for the chairman and 30 minutes for the CEO. And I remember coming away thinking, why would the CEO be in there anyway? Like, he's not a motivator. He's not a football man. He's the money man. And then this breaks on Monday morning and you think, okay, he was obviously, they were obviously telling the players. But they didn't know. They didn't actually know. It was Monday morning. This, the timing of it did come out of the blue. In terms of the surprise going back all that way, I, I don't know what they feel. That wasn't something I asked. It wasn't something that came up. However, I suppose if you're going to take four years, you may as well look at everything. Do they have enough evidence to bring these charges and they know it's going to be a slam dunk or do they not have enough because there's not enough cooperation? So they've gone with what they think and they'll see what sticks because there was an element of that to UEFA's. UEFA couldn't know what they had, so they just had to go with it and say, we're banning you for the Champions League and see what happens. And in the end, it didn't work. So again, we need to know and we'll find out if the Premier League have got loads of proof or if they've just got a bit of suspicion and they don't really know. Going back to 2009, I think is there's a, there's a very simple explanation, and we have to go back to those those hacks emails because that's how far back they went. And Sam is right in that a large part of the UEFA case was time barred. They had a five year statute of limitations. Some of those early emails were around the Etty Slat deal, the, the first Etty had deal, but the Premier League doesn't have statute of limitations in their handbook around this stuff. This is going to come up. I've already seen various sort of people talk about this on social media, as though there is no statute of limitation issue at all here. There, there is, because uh, this arbitration process is governed by just UK law, and ordinarily it's six years. However, and I think this is, and this is important to listen, because I think this is what the whole case will hinge on. A defendant cannot, cannot rely and lean on stuff being time-barred, statute of limitation, cannot sort of get, gain the benefit of that by concealment and dishonesty. You cannot like play the system. So if there is a history, if there is a, a, a record of concealment and delaying tactics, the, the, the statute of limitations doesn't really come into it. Now that's interesting because I think there's a really key sort of philosophical difference between the UEFA process and this process, which we're about to, well, which we're entering into. The UEFA process was very specifically around FFP. So the hacked email said Man City inflated their revenues and hid their costs. Right? There was, a, there was a, an honesty element to that. But, but UEFA had, a, had an issue, like a genuine issue. Well, you've, you, you may well have breached FFP then. But don't forget they'd already been through that process with Man City in 2014-15 anyway. So it was almost like a sort of replay of that earlier process. And it was like, well, no, hold on a minute. You, you really did breach FFP. You did, you had to, your losses were too big. So it was a very specific issue. This is different. The Premier League is a, is, is a member-based thing. That Manchester is a shareholder. This is the group saying to one of its members, you've lied to us. This is about honesty. Interestingly, again, just in terms of the club's point of view, and people might listen to this and just think, uh, just the kind of bravado almost is, is, is incredible. The thing about the time-barred stuff is, yes, some of, the, some of that stuff couldn't be examined by UEFA. It, it was just, it couldn't be looked at. But there was other stuff that wasn't, and City overturned it anyway. But City are now saying, we welcome that the Premier League doesn't have any time-barred stuff because our rivals are saying we got off on a technicality. 
So if we overturn this now, they've got no excuses. You know, it's just, it's this kind of complete opposite mind frame to how the wider world, all of us, we're all talking about relegation, the title's being stripped. And they're like, oh, you know what would be good, actually? We can go and prove that we've done nothing wrong. And nobody can say we've got off on a technicality. Like it's, yeah, it's, you can think what you want about that. But that is, again, that is, that is the stance. These are the noises coming out. And again, it just adds another layer because if that is right, then what would the fallout be if City are found not guilty? One of the other things you mentioned earlier was that there's a feeling within the club that, that it's biased. That's that you said that, didn't you? Earlier. Well, they, wanna... they, that was that was part of the the challenge they did initially. They they kind of yeah. disputed that the Premier League should even be looking into it. And when it went to a commercial court, they also said that the process was biased. But the judge decided, like any basically any fair minded person would look at it and say this isn't a biased process whatsoever. So this is already something that's been in the courts. Uh, Okay, which was going to lead me on to my question to you, Matt, which is how is something like this instigated? Because you mentioned it's a member organisation. Mm-hmm. Manchester City are oh, one okay. of 20 members. So hypothetically, let's say, let's, say, let's say it's not City, right? Let's say they sit around the table or they then, you know, go off into little groups and have a coffee after a Premier League meeting. I think, whoa, I'm not sure about the power of Club X. Should should we Should we instigate? an investigation yes well i i think i know what you're getting at mark <laughs> i'm not i'm i'm, I'm not I, mean, I, I i am not i think the machinate the machinations yeah. of look it's yeah. one thing for uefa to charge a to charge a club who have to qualify yeah yeah, yeah okay yeah, yeah i think the machinations of uh when it's a member organization a member-led organization and one member is charged i think that that does call into question dynamics particularly within within the football world and i think a lot of fans of a lot of clubs would be interested as to how yeah, I, look, how that would yeah, work right. so I'm, I'm happy to play along with this um you know is it is it all man united liverpool and arsenal and spurs and all that lot's fault right have they been poking the premier league to do this yeah probably but what was the premier league supposed to do november 2018 the spiegel splashed across a week <laughs> The most amazing allegations about the most successful English football team of the last decade. Amazing allegations. UEFA had to act. You know, Man, Man-, Man City could have won the Champions League that year. They could have won the Champions League every every year since. They had to act. They'd already been, as I said, around the houses with Man City on on this. This has been a you know a, a, what is it now? Fifteen year story. The Premier League had to act as well. They had to launch an investigation as well. You can't you can't have your best team or one of your best teams apparently make, making a laughing stock of your rule book. So the investigation started, regardless of what Man United, Liverpool, and all the rest of them might have been whispering in the Premier League's ear. Now, could, and I think this is interesting, and this this will this will be one for the conspiracy theories to run wild with, could the Premier League have dropped this? Could the Premier League at some point have said, do you see what happened to UEFA at Cass? That was a little bit humiliating. Have you seen how hard we've tried? This trench warfare we've been having with Man City over the last two and a half years about our rule book. We, we talked about the Rosen situation. That was a change the Premier League made. We have to sort of sort out this judicial panel. We have to have a kind of proper commission. And, you know, we have to, we have, to have a process for when we have to go to war with one of our clubs. So they, they tightened that up. And this whole row about... Uh, should arbitration processes be in public or private? This has been going on for, for ages. The Premier League have spent a considerable amount of money on this. I think once you've gone down that road, 
started that road. You've got to see it through. Um, now, I think there's a there's a there's a sort of there's a we'll say counter narrative, but there's sort of I think an interesting kind of side narrative to this as to how this is all being viewed. And again, it leads into that fan led review issue, but also just sort of where the where the where the Premier League is right now in terms of its peer group leagues. Is this a incredibly embarrassing and vindicates the sort of things that Tebas has been saying for a while? Or is it B, the Premier League sending out this great big signal to the world, we take financial impropriety seriously. We will go after our biggest, most powerful people. So yes, you can invest here. Yes, you can trust us. We are serious. We, we have a rule book. We stand by it. Yeah, and that was actually going to be the, my my sort of final subject here i mean it's no it's no surprise is it that la liga president javier tebas weighed straight in sam at 2017 soccer x manchester we complained about manchester city and paris saint-germain's fair play breaches financial fair play breaches it's incredible that the premier league have taken years to realize we say now that there are more cases will it take so many years this time, we've touched on what happened with Serie A and Juventus, and Juventus are being punished again at the moment by Serie A at the time of recording this. The other leagues will weigh in here now because this isn't actually just a, a, a domestic situation, bearing in mind how much other leagues are, um, well, I was going to say wary, but actually hate the Premier League's dominance. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, well, I mean, you kind of wonder if, however this pans out, whether City are found guilty or not, like, is this the the spark for another run at a Super League or or, or similar? In terms of Tebas, it, it's obviously no surprise. It's a drum he's been banging for a long time. I mean, at least he's consistent. I think we did a podcast on on City last week and Barcelona came up briefly. I mean, in fairness, he's kind of imposing very strict financial rules in La Liga, which almost make the clubs non-competitive in Europe. They're so strict... Um, and so harsh to abide by it. And it, it almost makes you wonder. I mean, obviously, they're doing it to make them sustainable. But you think at, at the expense of competing in Europe or putting them at a disadvantage to, to leagues where you can spend whatever you want, or seemingly, um, why are you doing it? But he's, he is, he's certainly consistent in that message. I mean, there's, you know, there's several aspects of his, of his, I don't know, his role, his title, his character that, Answer good, and you know there's there's plenty of things that you don't listen to him on. Um, but uh, you know I'm sure in a few years once it's blown over, um, that everyone will be trying again to 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 do something about regulating spending, curtailing the Premier League, making a close shop. I, I'm sure there'll be some kind of push again in the future, and this might be the excuse, whatever whatever the outcome. That Premier League image, Matt, is is a fascinating discussion point, particularly as. Yeah, with when we record this, and you're always on Zoom, you have various Tour de France posters behind you. And when when I, I can remember doing a Lance Armstrong documentary, and one of the big things there is, well, is cycling forever going to be associated with being tainted, mm. or is there an element of, well, at least cycling does it? Think you know, and you, the cycling's not alone. Pick, and you could then name four or five other sports. Go, it's going to be going on there, but cycling make it public and are doing their very best. You could have the same argument here, yeah. couldn't you? Well, I think both those things are true about cycling, aren't they? So we'll just very briefly talk about that. So yes, for in the minds of many general sports fans, 
cycling is a, is a sport where doping is rife, right? And, and, and I'm sorry to break this to you, between like, you know, the 80s, 90s and, and noughties, it was. It, it was a sport that lost its moral compass. It was a sport where the drugs clearly worked. And if you weren't on them, you'd lose. Now, it's also true that having got itself into that terrible position, it then became much stronger and much more willing to take on its big beasts and test properly and properly funded uh, testing regimes. And yeah, and it has, has come a long way, which involved embarrassing itself, which involved washing its dirty linen in public. Athletics, I think, is, has gone through a similar process. So both, both, of you, both of those things can be true at the same time. Now, Tebas has made various remarks about state-owned clubs. So that to go back to that Soccer X outburst statement, I was in the room. It was very funny. And it was it was all it was really about Neymar going going you know leaving and going to going to PSG and he and he he's got a way with words and he remember he said they they are they are weeing in the swimming pool they're, they're peeing in the swimming pool all right and what are we supposed to say about this and I think he's there are a great many people in football who do think it was a mistake to let states buy clubs because you will inevitably run into issues that we have spent years discussing in Man City, how you separate related party sponsors, how you fairly benchmark their deals. It's really, really hard. And if you have a financial fair play system that is based on fair value for sponsorships, and yet you have a, a club that is owned, run effectively by a state, and you have main, their main sponsors also being state-run companies, that's tricky. You know, unintended consequences, that is just tricky. So he's he's been right about that. He's been right to 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 say, what, what are we doing here? How are City fans feeling, Sam, finally? And uh, I, as always, when I ask a question about fans, I realise it's a, a very broad generalisation. I suppose defiant. It's the same as the club, really. Um, again, it's not the first time. You know, the club have been through this before. We've been through this before as reporters. Um, but the, the club have been as well. And the way... The football is in societies across the world. You know, the football clubs are the most important things in in our lives. And the logical conclusion is now with we've got the internet and there's so much tribalism, we defend the club, whatever happens. Um, so there, there's been an element of that. But I mean, even even a different form of defiance. I've seen some fans say, "Oh yeah, relegate us to the championship and we'll come back and we'll do it all again," or relegate us to League One or whatever. You know, we'll have we'll have some good days out and all this kind of stuff. So. Yeah, you know, let's let Caldun Al Mubarak fight it, and it harks back to the kind of going going to war with the UEFA, and let's do this to the Premier League, and and that kind of thing. I mean, obviously, there's there's others, there's there's people who are a bit more. Let's just let it play out. But I think generally, as I suppose with any fan base online, there's a kind of defiance about the whole thing. Uh, we will leave it there. Um, Sam and Matt have uh, their big explainer on the case uh, right now uh, on The Athletic. And you can subscribe today for just £1.99 a month for a year at theathletic.com slash football pod. Thank you to Sam and to Matt. We'll have another episode tomorrow. And if you follow us wherever you get your podcasts, you'll never miss a show. See you then. The Athletic. <laughs>